Welcome back to Remote Life. My name is Han Talbot, also known as Han Mix World, and today we'll be chatting with Matt Kepnes. Originally from the US, Matt is the founder of travel site Nomadic Matt and the Nomadic Network, as well as a best-selling author and founder of the TravelCon conference. In this episode, we talk about scaling a business, the importance of community and remote life, and things to think about when choosing a remote life destination. So grab a coffee, a tea, or something stronger, and let's get started. Matt, thank you so much for being on the Remote Life podcast. How are you? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me here. So to dive straight on in, to begin, connect the dots for us. How did you get started on your remote life journey? Like most things that turn out well, it was an accident. I was just traveling around the world on a backpacking trip. You know, I quit my job, took a career break, and then I ran out of money and realized I wanted to go back to Europe. So I needed more money. So I started teaching overseas and I taught in Thailand for a little bit. I uh, came home was like, all right, well, I don't really like home. Let's go back to Asia. And in that process, I thought like, well, you know, I'll create a website that will allow me to sort of be an online resume to try to get freelance writing gigs. At the time, I thought guidebook writers seemed like the coolest job in the world. So I wanted to have a place where editors could find me. Uh, so I started my website, Nomadic Math. So originally just an online resume with a blog component. And then I went back to teaching in Asia, for a couple of years. And during that time, I really grew the website to allow uh, me to keep traveling full time and earning a living. And then here we are 13 years later. Who are today? Yeah, indeed. So tell us a little bit more about like your, your business, kind of what you've got going for you, because you've got a few things going mm-hmm. with a nomadic mat sphere. So yeah, well, I mean, I, I like to create things. So, you know, I have a uh, nomadic map, which is my website that teaches how do people how do people, yeah, it teaches people how to travel on a budget. Uh, we have the Nomadic Network, which is our grown community arm where we host events online and post-COVID in real life uh, to try to create sort of, you know, a social network for travelers. So you can meet like-minded people who won't think you're crazy for wanting to go travel the world for a year. And then we have TravelCon, which is a conference for travel media. And that takes place once a year in the U.S. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's basically, you know, the major things. I have a charity, too, called Flight, which raises money to send high school students in the U.S. on, like, overseas educational trips. Amazing. So, yeah, no, speaking of Nomadic Network, who is it for? Um, apart from, uh, well, obviously, as you said, the people who think it's not crazy to go uh, traveling for a year. That's some great people. Who's Nomadic Network for? You know, Nomadic Network is really just for travelers who want to meet other travelers. You know, do so in a in a more offbeat, responsible way. It's not for just one type of traveler. It's really, you know, we have meetups for backpackers and RVers and, and really just anyone who wants to find other travelers who get their desire to travel long-term, to make tra- travel a priority in their life, to want to you know, talk about destinations, you know, and, and not just go to resorts in Cancun, you know, they want to go to like Azerbaijan or mm. do like a, a backpacking trip through Mongolia, you know, or like offbeat safaris and, and things of that nature. Just out of general interest, a bit off topic, but are there kind of more spaces for remote lifers and kind of people who are maybe based in one place, but looking to meet kind of more travel people? So within, within uh, do you find there are a few people who are maybe based in one location that also do meetups and or like meet up with people in the area? Through the Nomadic Network? Yeah. Yeah, so we do a lot of monthly in-person events. 
they're a little slow right now and not as frequent due to COVID, uh, mm-hmm. but we have local chapters around. So it's just not virtual meetups. We do in-person meetups in, in cities around the world. That was more for me that I asked that question because I found that some people, like even when I'm in certain Facebook groups, for example, there, there were still people who are locals, but looking to meet people who are coming in from town. So just a general personal question for myself. Um, but from a more like kind of business perspective, for people kind of looking to scale a business, kind of at what point did you go, right, Nomadic Matt is taking off now and it needs to become something like a Nomadic Network? Yeah, a couple of years ago, it's sort of been a natural evolution of what I want out of the website. Nomadic Matt is really about me and my travels, uh, and I wanted to grow a business that was not so much tied to me and my brand, where I didn't always have to be on the road, where I didn't always have to be producing content. There was something else, you know, that I could take a backseat to. And mm. So, it, you know, when you have a website called Nomadic Matt, it's very hard to do that, right? Yeah. Because it's always about you. So creating a community website was the next thing I wanted to do because I wanted to go into events, I wanted to go into tours, but I didn't always want to have to be at every event or run every tour. You know, I wanted to have my own life too. So using, leveraging Nomadic Mad's audience, we built the Nomadic Network. Yeah, out of interest as well, like from your own business kind of experience now, is there anything that you wish you had known when you were starting out before kind of creating this business model? Or done differently, maybe? I think, um, one, I would always tell people if they want to be an online creator, you know, treat it as a business. You know, don't expect fame right away. Obviously, you know, sometimes you get lucky in the social media lottery and, you know, you blow up on the internet. But it's always good to think of it as more of a long-term, mm-hmm. slow process than I'm going to start a blog or Instagram or TikTok and get famous real quick. Mm-hmm. And make tons of money. That does happen. That's very rare. The other thing I would I would tell people to focus on is there are a lot of great creators out there in the world. We're all dimes a dozen. So if you have information you want to share, remember your story is unique. No one else has your perspective. But if everyone's doing it on one medium, try to be on a different medium. You know, for example, like. Everyone wants to be on TikTok or Instagram, right? But if there's a new social network that comes out, then be the big fish in the small pond because then you can leverage that audience across your other social networks and you know, bring them over. You know, a lot of people get big on Instagram because they bring their TikTok audience over and vice versa. Uh, and another thing I would say is never just stick to your niche. You know, like if you're in travel, don't feel like you only have to go to travel events or, or meet travel people go to other conferences and niches that are tangentially related to yours. For my, in my example, that would be uh, finance, since I talk about saving money, right? So going to finance bloggers. Interesting. People who blog about finance tend to want to save money. Why not be their person for travel? They have podcasts, you know, hey, you want to talk about saving money? I'm an expert in saving money on travel. Mm-hmm. Have me on your, your blog or podcast. Then you can expand your audience to a whole new readership rather than, you know, having to always fight for in the travel space. You sort of go into like what they call a blue ocean. Nobody else is there. Nice. Then you become the travel guy for that industry or girl or travel person. (laughs) Yeah. Out of interest, are there any, so you said finance, for example, 
are there any events that like pandemic aside are there any events or communities you specifically go to or were there any spaces online that you went to first outside of travel i really used to love this conference called blog world i went there a lot but that doesn't exist anymore uh so social media week is really good i like that there's a conference in the states called fincon which is financial bloggers traffic and conversion which is sort of for business marketers uh, there used to be one called Blogger, which was for female bloggers. I don't even know if that exists anymore. Not heard about it but, in a while. I mean, I, I don't go to as many events as I used to. But, you know, at the beginning when I was starting out, you know, I went to as many as I could, regardless of what the genre was. Mm-hmm. You know, I wanted to, you know, podcast movement. And that's another big one for podcasters. So just trying to be everywhere to get as much, to get as many websites or blogs or creators and podcast to amplify my website what's your number one icebreaker when you're at these events oh god i'm really good bad at icebreakers so <laughs> usually some awkward joke but you know typical like what do you do and then like okay what do you do you get the podcast like tell me more mm-hmm. and people just like to talk about like it is or like who is the main audience for that i don't know really bad with icebreakers so that seems to be most people's go-to. It's, hi, I'm like so-and-so. Like even Cash, who was in them at Series 1, he also did the same. He was like, I go up to people and I go, hi, I'm Cash. I'm a travel blogger and takes it from there. Yeah. <laughs> so let's just move away from that a little bit. Why should people pick up a book, a copy of your book, 10 Years and Nomad? And maybe give us, can you give us a couple of takeaways from it? 10 Years and Nomad really travels, really follows the emotional journey of long-term travel. So if you're wondering what it's like to travel long-term, the highs and the lows, that's what the book is really about. Nice. Anything, can you give us a little bit of like a one takeaway or? Well, one of the key takeaways is that long-term travel really forces you out of your comfort zone. Mm -hmm. Uh, So you end up learning more about yourself than you do the world. It's a really good way to develop personal skills. Mm -hmm. You know, it's self-confidence, conversation skills, small talk, learning to like sort of read people and figure out nonverbal cues because there you are in a country that you've never been and you don't know what they're saying. So you have to kind of pick up on body language. Uh, and it gets you really comfortable being uncomfortable because things are going to go to shit very, <laughs> very, very often. On small and big levels. But speaking of being uncomfortable and getting comfortable with being uncomfortable, was there anything that you did in the, again, kind of more at the start of your nomadic journey to kind of get you through those times when you're kind of figuring out, okay, what's good, uncomfortable, and what's not bad, like not good, uncomfortable? I think you always have to trust your gut. Uh-huh. There's been times where I'm like, this doesn't feel right, and just go with it and then step back. If it doesn't feel right, don't do it. And so like usually if you're in situations and something is feels off, go with that. Like remove yourself from that situation. Like for kind of getting, getting yourself through the... Do you have anything extra for like when it's, I'm feeling nervous, but I know that it's good for me. Like, did you have any kind of coping like systems for that at all? Going with people that okay. push you is good. So, you know, we tend to not really want to break out of our comfort zone. So it's sort of a growing process, one step at a time. Mm-hmm. You know, you stay at the hostel, you do, you, you do that activity that you never thought you'd do before. And slowly but surely you get better at just, taking leaps on your own. But that's the great reason why hostels are good because you're in a group and you go together and you don't want to be that one person. So a hostel's more your go-to accommodation 
thing because I've read a couple of your articles on your site about Airbnb. <laughs> uh, I do love hostels. You know, I stay there quite often. I think they're a really good way to meet people. So if I'm traveling and I'm looking to meet people, I will most likely stay at a hostel. Whereas if I'm traveling for work and I know I'm going to be spending most of my time working, I'll want that private time. And so I'll end up staying more at a hotel or, you know, just something, a place a little quieter. What's one thing that you are like, right, I can't live without when I'm on the road that you always have in your cabin, cabin luggage or your whole luggage? Honestly, my music. Oh, interesting. <laughs> yeah, like, okay. I, in a book, um, I always have a book with me, nice. physical book. I don't like reading from an iPad or Kindle. And then I always have my phone just so I can always listen to music. Okay, very interesting. Any reads that you would recommend particularly for people? Things I would lately that I really liked is Lost in Planet China by J. Martin Truce, Cersei by Madeline Miller, and then The Khalif's House by Tahir Shah. Cool, nice. So just going back a little bit at sort of the planning process. So you're thinking about uh, looking at traveling and working in a completely new destination. What are the three, for example, say, most important things that you look for? Weather. Is there a existing community of digital nomads there? And how's the Wi-Fi? Yeah, that seems to be a common thing. So I was going to ask a question to you about, obviously, the travel industry has been massively impacted in the last couple of years. What are your thoughts on remote lifers, digital nomads, slow travelers, and the potential impact, good slash bad, the impact that they could have on tourism as we come out of the pandemic. And what way? Economically, as a way of spreading tourism? Yeah. For me, for example, I think that slow travel and uh, digital nomads are going to have a positive impact uh, to an extent because they are the people at the end of the day that can go base themselves somewhere for extended periods of time. And so therefore they can see more of the country. But in some people's opinion, that might not be true. That might not be the focus. Do you think they could have, you might not have any thoughts on it at all. It's just for the science. Well, if you take a look at Mexico, they've recently cracked down on digital nomads who come and they live for six months and take advantage of that six-month tourist visa and they stay there. And, you know, Mm -hmm. there's some pushback. And I think that is well-deserved pushback because, you know, one of the things people like about being a digital nomad is you can just go live anywhere without having to bear the cost of living there. Taxes all that jazz. And I, I think there should be more of an awareness of the fact that you are a guest in someone's country. And it's just not like, well, oh, I'm going to drop in and enjoy the perks and then leave when things get bad or whatever, right? So I'm all for these countries starting to offer digital nomad visas mm-hmm. that come with, you know, more regulations. I think more countries should offer it. It's very hard. Like, I just, if I want to go live in France, like, it's nearly impossible. <laughs> I don't want to, like, be a burden on their system and I'm happy to pay, you know, taxes or whatever. They just don't have that set up. But like Germany, on the other hand, has that freelancer visa and everyone uses it. And now they're legally part of the system. You know, everything's above board. So if, if more countries adopted that, I think there'd be less people that would just be like, well, I'm going to go live here basically illegally. Like tons of people do that in Bali. Because if Bali only offers 30 days. So people, in my opinion, wrongly try to get around the system. But I think countries, you know, if they adopted to the times more and made it easier for people to have long-term visas while also not looking for work, I think people would, it would drive revenue for them. They get a free fee and drive taxes and we all get to live 
planes without any like worries and being caught, you know? Yeah, there's been quite a few nomad visas that have surfaced out of the last couple of years. Like, are there any destinations that have brought out visas that you're particularly excited about? Greece has one, Croatia has one. Um, I think Mexico has started one. But I wish countries like Indonesia did one, Australia, New Zealand, France, like Canada. I think every country should have, have one. So home is fill in the blank and why? Uh, home is wherever I feel the most in sync. Oh, interesting. Okay. In what- so, you know, I feel at home in Paris and Bangkok and Tokyo, Austin, New York, wherever the energy of that place sort of aligns with my energy. You know, sometimes you just walk in Mexico, like you just get somewhere and you know, like, I'm going to like this place. And so I can be, I can live in any one of those places. Interesting. Okay. Nice. And an absolute last question. If you were able to go back and start all over again, is there anything that you would have done differently in the earlier days? Business-wise, I definitely would have started my email list from day one. Uh, okay. I think that's a very common response you'll hear from people because I went years without getting people's email. And, uh, well, social media networks come and go. Mm-hmm. And the algorithm is always changing. And so the amount of people that see your content is always changing. So... I would have spent more time building up people on my own platform rather than trying to build up a Facebook page that now nobody sees. Interesting. Amazing. Well, Matt, thank you so much for being on the Remote Life podcast. It's been very insightful. Thanks for having me. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of The Remote Life. And thank you, Matt, for your awesome insights. You can find links to his website and socials below. Tag Matt at Nomadic Matt and myself, Han, at Hamlet's World, and let us know where you would love to remote work from. You can also find the podcast on Instagram at The Remote Life Podcast. Thank you so much again for listening, and we can't wait to remote work with you again soon.